Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. This week, Dan, Adrian, and I sit down with Brian Niederhelm. Brian is such a fascinating dude. He is a protector by trade. He works for a firm called Gavin DeBecker and Associates, arguably one of the most prestigious protection for private protection firms in the United States and probably in the world. Brian has such a unique perspective on leadership as he talks about being a protector, putting himself in danger, uh, in, in, in harm's way for the, for the protection of other people. Brian has created a playbook for high stakes decision making. It's called the uncertainty paradigm, which is applications across myriad aspects of life, leadership, and risk. We talk about a couple of the principles that he puts forward in the playbook. This is such a great conversation. I'm really grateful to Brian for being on the podcast with us. Without further delay, Let's dive in. I give you Brian Niederhelm. Brian, it's so good to have you. Thank you for taking the time to have a conversation with you. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Even before we had decided to have you on the podcast, I knew this would be such an, a great conversation. Um, just what I hear from Dan and Adrian about you, the work you've done with them, and the work you do in general is a very interesting line of work. So, so grateful to have you here. Thanks for coming. Do you mind just taking a couple minutes right at the top of the conversation, introduce yourself to the audience, some of the, some of the pertinent information about your background, your work you do, um, and, uh, and why it connects to leadership. Yeah. Thank you, Chad. And, uh, good to have a conversation, uh, with all you guys as well. Um, so yeah, I think what I do or who I am can really be boiled down into two words. I'm a protector first and a leader as well. And if you reverse in time about 20 years, I started off with Gavin DeBecker and Associates doing protection, traveling with clients, protecting them in, in various environments, and then after about nine years of doing that, I switched and moved more into uh, a field that we call threat assessment. And that's where I've now been spending about the last 10 years, really now using information to prepare our protectors so that they can do a better job protecting the clients on the ground and at their homes. Um, so uh, I have about a team of 30 or so people to help with that and to provide that information to around 40 different full-time clients that our firm has. And uh, those individuals range from people in behavioral sciences to investigators, to analysts. And um, together we worked uh, to do what we call, or what we refer to as preventing soft tissue damage. That is something I heard Gavin himself say a few years ago, and it stuck with me. It really boils it down to the most simplistic term. Um, but a lot, of, a lot goes into that, right? Carrying that mission out. Um, clients, fortunately, don't always have uh, threats to their safety, and there's lots of other challenges we help them solve in their lives. How did like, you? Oh, go like ahead, what, man. What, what are some of the other things you you might help a client resolve? Well. And even things from like relationships that they're trying to get out of, whether it's a business relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's romantic relationship uh, and you know how best to do that and minimize the risks. Uh, some clients that come to us are in um, toxic relationships 
And again, sometimes those are a business type one. Ideally, clients come to us before they enter into relationships and we can help them make the most informed decisions about the people they're inviting into their lives. So um, that's one way we get calls when there's extortion cases and when there's controversy and and various things um, that are happening in the course of their lives or in their children's lives or in their um, businesses lives. And, uh, again, we just, we really try to help solve it. Sometimes we're not the right, uh, person or entity to do that. So we help the clients build a team and put a team t- together to handle whatever that is, right. We want to create essentially a, a table. Sometimes it's virtual of people that might be seeing things through the lens of legal risk, other people that are viewing it through PR risks, people that are viewing it from a safety risk standpoint, financial standpoint. uh, And you put all those heads together to advise a client, they can make the best and most informed decisions. Yeah. I um, always found that working with you guys is really interesting, particularly in our conversations offline. And one of the things you talk about, that uh, you've talked to me about, what I found really interesting is the first principle thinking, which I find to be really powerful. I'd love to have, have you talk a little bit about that. Like what, when you think, when you talk about first principles thinking, what do you, what, what's that mean to you? And how's that play into decision-making? Yeah, well, I think there's a bit of a journey that I went on to lead up to you know, that concept of first principles thinking. Um, the, the field of security and secure, managing security risks, I've generally found to not be as evolved as other fields that manage various types of risks. So I, I really started to dive into the history of risk management. You know, you can go all the way back to, I mean, even really before the, the 17th century um, and, and study those other fields, right? And so that's what sort of led me and it was actually Elon Musk that I first heard reference first principles and then just studied a little bit about it. But it really helps, I think, when you are assessing something for a client, they come to you right with some sort of a problem and to try, try to boil it down to the most simplistic terms, which is why I reference what we do is preventing soft tissue damage, right? Like what really at the core, what is the root of the problem? What are the goals that, are, that you're after? You know, what are your tolerances for risk? And just under boiling things down as simple as you could possibly make them. And then essentially building up from there and, yeah. and coming up with the best management strategy to achieve those goals. But a lot of times when clients come to, to I'm sure you guys as well, right? They're not really clear yet on oh, what their priorities are, what the, the problem yeah. is they're trying to solve. They've defined it in, in a certain way, right? And you can help them actually reframe the issue and the challenge in a way that now they can understand it. And now we can come up with a management strategy to help address whatever that challenge is. Yeah. That, that's why I found it so interesting because it's interesting to me that most entrepreneurs are fairly, most of the guys we work with men and women that are founders and clients that we have, I find that are pretty good decision makers naturally to get to where they're at. But I I've often thought about how relevant what you do is to a business, to an entrepreneur, to really get a framework for making decisions, particularly difficult decisions. And, you know, our clients face high stakes decision-making regularly, but if you talk to them about 
what principles they're using. Many of them are unconsciously competent, right? They're they're oh, doing yeah. it, you know, but they couldn't tell you how. And so it becomes very difficult to pass it into the organization. They might even think what's wrong with these people, but they, they're not even aware of themselves what makes them so competent in making those decisions and how much more competency may be available if they had a framework in, uh, in making decisions. And I mean, you bring out a couple of things in your pamphlet, um, you know, and Brian wrote for everybody, for the listeners, Brian has written a pamphlet, a book. Uh, you could talk, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about it called the uncertainty paradigm. But <clears throat> what, what struck me in the, in it was how logical and how valuable it can be for people to be aware of first principles like a like a like you were talking about one of the things you talk about in it is the pareto principle and realizing that 80% of the of the threats are caused by 20% of the circumstances or situations that you find yourself in and so right. if you can boil it down to that 20% then you're taking care. And I think about that in business a lot. Like what is the 20% we ought to be paying attention to, but I'd love to have you, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, the uncertainty paradigm and, and um, just how you see it relevant to business. You know, I think it, it, it really started with uh, there was one of the case managers on my team that came to me and, and essentially expressed that she felt she was ready for a promotion. And, and so we had a conversation about it. I spoke to one of the other senior directors in the division. And when it came down to it, we said, we don't think she's ready yet. And then we got in a conversation and we tried to express to her why she wasn't ready. And, but we really couldn't express to her very specifically because everything that we do, right. Happens between our two ears. Right. And, and obviously there's, we have to express it to clients, put it in writing or have phone calls or meetings. But, and so I was frustrated, I think is the easiest way to say it, that I couldn't express to her what she could actually do, right? To progress and to earn that promotion. And, and so- By the way, it's common for many, many leaders with people. Like that's one of the most common complaints we hear from some of the teams that they lead is, you know, I'd like to know what it's going to take to get there. And they can't seem to tell me. So yes, I really set out and I was already in a place where I was considering just to start writing. I wasn't trying to publish a book. I just wanted to do the journey of writing. And, and I, I felt intuitively that that was going to move me closer to the mastery that I was after. So I just started, I took that, that challenge, that problem that I didn't have a solution for. And and started to to write, and then that's what led to things like what what you're referencing, Dan, and first principles and Pareto's um, Pareto's Pareto principle. For a while, like I, I was calling it Pareto's principle, eighty twenty rule, and like all that. But um, but it's actually Pareto principle for those that don't know, and um, and tried to put it into and try to organize it and codify it in a way that I could share it with the rest of my team. And so uh, set out to do that and really try to break down and slow down the thought processes that we all go through that you pointed out, Dan, that a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders are really good at, but they don't, they don't realize a lot of the time all the steps that they take from the journey 
or during the journey from A to Z of making a decision. And so by sort of breaking it down, I tried to create uh, an actual paradigm, uh, an organization of concepts and models and principles that everyone can utilize and walk through step by step. It doesn't actually have to be in any order. Like that's sort of the, the wisdom and a paradigm, right? It's meant to be a loose set of concepts and models that hopefully people can add more to. Um, but, uh, and, 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 and also Dan, I don't even know, I'd call it a book. I mean, it's, um, it's going to very soon be, uh, in a, in a medium blog, but, um, it's, it's not long enough in my view to be a book. Uh, it really is, uh, as, as it says in the title, a playbook for high stakes decision-making, like it's meant to be short. Yeah. And, and again, ideally I was intending for the audience to be my team and others who are making those types of decisions in the company and, and along that journey and sharing it with people like you, you shared that you thought it would have value to other audiences as well and would translate. So that's when I thought, well, why don't, why don't I put it out for other people to actually read and, and, and to commit some of my time to producing material because of the benefits that I've experienced so far and how it has helped me to organize my thinking. And I find myself now talking to clients. I could, I could express myself and my own thoughts in a way that I wasn't capable of before. Yeah, I've read it probably three times and I keep going through it. And I find it to be really useful. In fact, some of it Particularly, you, you, I mean, you, you, there's a number of places, but the principles, I'd love you to illuminate what you would say some of your first principles are and, and talk a little bit about, like the first principle, I, I, when I train, I homeschooled my children when, I, when they were younger, and we worked on the principle approach, which was in math, in science, in history, et cetera, try to identify the principles, the first principles, and then reason from there. They, and then you talk a little bit about them as a compass rather than trying to something like that. And love, right. love to hear your thoughts on that because I think that's beneficial for any business owner to really get clear about their principles. Well, the five core components, I really think, are the principles of sorts of the uncertainty paradigm, which is starting out with actually like establishing what your goals are, what your what I refer to as the, the point of view. And then I, using point of view as an acronym, right, you can ask yourselves a few questions that help you to really get clear on what your what your point of view is. So and and, and as part of that. I like to use a principle uh, called inquiry, which is exactly what it is, right? You just ask yourself questions. So I, I've just, I've found that when you ask yourself the right questions, right, the, the answers or actually better questions illuminate themselves and you can get really clear on what you're after. So if you use point of view, POV as an acronym, the first one is what are we solving for and why are we solving for it? outcomes is what is the ideal destination we're navigating towards and what is the destination we're seeking to avoid, right? Getting clear on, on where you want to land, where you want to get to, but also what you don't want to, what do you want to avoid along the way? And then being really clear about your values and, and basically what you won't compromise while you're en route to that destination and fulfilling your purpose. So once you establish that, right, that, that to me is, um, a, a 
principle of the uncertainty paradigm. And then it gets into how you assess time, how you identify the systems that are at play. And I think that's where people tend not to spend enough time is, is in really looking at the principles that we're operating in. I don't think we all realize like our, our entire existence, right, is, is a system. Our biology is a system. We work in systems. Our bureaucracies are systems. Our uh, policing is system. Like everything is a system. And so once you can identify the systems that you're operating in, you can see the influences that are at play. And then once you identify the systems, you can start to identify the principles and the rules that you actually either have to follow and play by the rules, which you accomplish by understanding the rules really, really well and applying first principles. And then you could, your other three options there uh, is to break the rules and manage consequences, or you can change the rules, which is a pretty hard thing to do. But if you look at people throughout history, right, they've changed the rules, people like Martin Luther King and many of the, but it's sometimes changing the rules of a game that's established is a pretty hard thing to do, but you can do that. And then you could also change the game that that's being played. Um, so again, just to recap, point of view is, is a principle, time and assessing uh, time's impact on decision. And then you get into systems and then that's once you've established those things, you really move into the actual assessment uh, and the management strategy. So those are the, the, the components. And within all those components, there's many other principles and concepts, most of which I didn't create. Right. I'm just trying to organize them in a way that other people can apply them and and to create their own custom paradigms for whatever industry they're in and uh, whatever domains they're operating in and their own preferences and personality and, and, and so on. That's really great. <clears throat> I was just going to say, and kind of looping this conversation back to the beginning, um, I bet, I mean, if people are listening to you, it, it's, 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 I mean, if you guys know anything about Gavin DeBecker and Associates, they are, they are the top elite, elite class in protection. Um, but then when Dan's question of, of what do you, what else do your clients have you do? The next thing was like relationship advice. Now that's fascinating to me. Right. And, and right. This is it. This is, this is why this is interesting and why maybe where, where the, the, uh, the, uh, the effect of living principle, living in a principled way, well, how, how that, the effect of that, because what I, here's what I assume is that, you know, they get used to the rigorous nature by which you operate. And when it, when it comes to protecting them, their families or protecting their corporation or X, Y, Z risk, blah, blah, blah. But then there, that also, when someone operates out of very clearly stated principles, it's like, Oh, I'll put a new factor in this, in this process over here. And I bet it's just what the, 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 the word that hits me is stability. Mm. And yeah, like, the one that I think, Complement stability is confidence. I think that's why mm. clients tend to come to us when they have an issue, a challenge that they don't know how to solve. They trust yeah. us and they have confidence in us. And, uh, yep. you know, that, that is clearly a blessing. We're not always the right, you know, even if we can help them, you know, depending on what it is, you know, like you said, relationship advice. And I realized you're sort of, you know, boiling it down, simplifying it. And sometimes, you know, in ways that's what it is. 
Uh, yeah. You know, but there's there's some challenge within that relationship uh, that, yeah. that they're again either trying to um, adjust within the relationship so they can keep it intact or to sever the relationship in some way where both parties go about their own business and they still you know like each other or or there's not um, self-inflicted risk and other risks that are invited just as a result of how severing that relationship is handled. Um, so, so you're right. I think it's, it's a very unique field that we're in. And thanks for your words about Gavin and Becker and associates. It's um, what I didn't say, and I don't want to get too off course when you ask me what I do uh, and, and a little bit about the work that we do. I think what also is worth saying and it connects to relationships is the people that I get to work with every day that are obsessed, absolutely obsessed with protecting people. Like it is, it is what they live and they breathe. And, and so to be swimming in the water of people who are obsessed with, with that mission um, and also moving in the same direction is is really great, but sorry for uh, derailing your comments there, Adrian. No, no, it's all good, man. I'm, 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 list I'm listening on behalf of the listener and thinking about how does this connect? And, and there's always, I think a part of the pain of leading a fast moving organization is that they feel like they, there's big uh, high stakes decisions to be made. Lots of competing interests. Um, lots of drama around that and, and, and no time. And these are all like, these are how they would label it. Like all this stuff's happening. And by the way, I don't have any time to do it. So I'm thinking about your, you know, your articulation of the principles and like really what's there. And it's like, it seems like the, the benefit of such and why most people aren't talking like this. Well, they're not talking like this. The benefit of even wondering about these things, even just the simple POV, those three questions um, can help cut through the drama and get to the real heart of the matter, which is mm -hmm. why even it's funny that they're coming to you, quote unquote, funny that they're coming to you for relational advice, but it's not because they trust you and there's stability and they know that, that, that my sense is, and you even just said it, like that they're going to feel more confident having worked this very complex situation through a set of principles that at the, at the end, they're going to feel confident that they've done the work and they know themselves, they know what they want. They know what's uncompromising by the end. So they can actually move forward faster once they've put themselves through a process that seems mysterious um, to them. You know, so anyway, that's, that's why I'm just connecting these dots between that and that. Cause I think it's quite ironic. Um, I think you nailed it. Like another principle would be, that when you understand something really well, really deeply, it loses control over you, right? Yeah. And, and what it loses, we gain, right? So when you understand something like uncertainty, yeah. and uncertainty, if you were to think of it as a verb, as something that is occurring, right? And you understand all the faces of it, it loses influence over you and now you have an opportunity to really take control over it um, so that that's also in in you know what i wrote in trying to express all the different faces of uncertainty and, and how really to chip away at it 
Yeah, by good. Until you're really left with one option, right? Rather than seeing a hundred options in front of you and trying to select the best one, right? You you chip away at all of those that present the most uncertainty to the outcome you're trying to produce. And then you're left with one door and you walk through that door, accepting that you've done your due diligence and all you can do. And then after you walk through that door, sometimes there's another set of 100 doors that you have to figure out, you know, how to rule all those out as well. But that's the process. And our brains do it very quickly. Um, and then, you know, once you boil something down to two or three options, that's where it gets a little more difficult uh, to really assess it. Yeah. And to assess the risks and how what the second and third or third order consequences might be of a decision option that you have. And um, um, but in, in, again, in going through all of that, you really can strip away a lot of uncertainty. And, and I think really when it comes down to it today, we are uh, it's like an epidemic of uncertainty. There is our, our minds. I is bigger than our mind stomach. There is just so much information out there and our biology confuses this information with certainty in it and we go after it. And then we just, it's like an unhealthy diet and we just were, we're feeding it too much information and we're feeding our biology also bad information. Um, so I think that, that connects in a roundabout way to another principle that I think is worth everybody applying, whether it be in, security risks or leadership risks or financial risks is um, making sure that you're finding the right information and, and distinguishing between what I call the accessibility of information versus the accessibility of information, right? Because just because you could access it nowadays, there, the accessibility of information is more prevalent than in any other time in human history, at least that we humans know of today. And but that doesn't mean that it's good information. It doesn't mean that it's information that, that we should really be contemplating as part of our decision uh, and spending our finite time assessing something that maybe doesn't even need to be assessed. This yeah. is, it's a really interesting conversation that I'm having actively with my kids, right? <laughs> because they're watching YouTube videos and they want to tell me about this and crazy, incredible thing that this YouTuber did and, and, you know, and I always want to have the conversation with, well, how do you know that that's, how do you know it happened the way they're, they're telling you it happened and just starting to work with them. And how do we parse all this information that's coming at us all the time? How are we evaluating what's valuable and how are we evaluating which, what is just filler bullshit, whatever. And, and Adrian, what I hear you saying, like there, there is, when we have a principled approach, it's applicable in all scenarios. So whether you're protecting people to not have soft tissue damage, or you're helping people uh, sort out something with a relationship, the principles still apply. But if we don't have that foundation of principle, we don't have a, a system in which we can take care of the information that we're getting. I'm, I'm curious, this might, this question might feel like a rewind to the beginning of the conversation, but Brian, I want to know, I'm dying to know you did in the beginning, you described yourself as a protector and a leader. Mm -hmm. I'm always interested in the journey to leadership. And also now in a conversation with you, I'm so interested in the journey to protector, 
when did you define yourself? When did you start defining yourself as a protector and a leader? Like what is that life journey for you that brought you to that? Well, I think you guys are protectors too. I think we all can view ourselves that way. Um, but when I joined the Marine Corps in uh, it was January 1997, standing on the yellow footprints, I think that's, that's when it probably started, right? Where I started to see myself a little differently. And I spent about six years in the Marine Corps. And um, my last, I was, I was in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan and Jerusalem, Israel, each for about um, a year and a half or so. And uh, in Bishkek, where I was at the uh, embassy there, I received this package from Gavin de Becker and Associates. I held on to this little pamphlet. And when it came time to get out uh, about two years later, I, 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 that was the only place I applied was Gavin de Becker and Associates. And something about them spoke to me. And, uh, but you know, at the same time, I thought, well, it could be a good stepping stone. So after joining the firm, I mean, that is what everybody is called. I mean, that's the name that we all refer to ourselves as. So it's, it's um, in a way, it fosters this culture of just thinking as ourselves, as protectors. Uh, so that's the short story of, of you know, how I sort of um, began to view myself as a protector. And, and now in the role that I'm at now, really trying to use information uh, to help others protect themselves and to help others protect uh, the protectees, uh, that, that we're all charged with protecting. Um, but Chad, you brought up children as well. Cause I think, right. Like we're all protectors. I know all of you, you brought up now, Chad being a father. I know Dan has children. I know Adrian has children. I have children. Like we're, we're all protectors in that regard as well. Uh, and again, like you brought up using information, right. They'd like trying to challenge them to really critically think through information that they saw on YouTube and not just believe it, right? Like that, that to me is one of the, uh, the, the highest callings that we have today as, as um, parents is to be a protector of children and to help them be better prepared to infer information and how to assess it. And then it's, you know, it's accuracy and it's relevance to decisions they need to make. So I really, uh, I wanted to say that just because I think the, the the parenting element of being a protector and how it connects to being a leader and all the decisions that go into that and navigating uh, through all the different seasons that, that children go through uh, is quite something. In your mind, is protector and leader synonymous? Are they the same thing? I haven't thought about it, but my initial instinct is absolutely like, I don't know that there's a way to detach ourselves from being a leader, whether we want to or not, we're always setting an example. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think absolutely the two are interconnected. If you try to separate them, I think it just creates risk and uncertainty. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> You, you, the way when you used to, there was a, I'm going to go back to something you said, because I think it's such a huge deal. And you, may, you said it so easily, which is point of view, right? And point of view is that that's kind of our work is we're definitely in the point of view business and reinventing mindset, reframing the way people are looking at their challenges, the people they work with, their, their clients, um, you know, their 
their mission, their vision, et cetera. And one of the, you get into a bit, and I thought you covered some pretty powerful distinctions. Like when you talk about gray thinking as the antidote for bias, which is probably the greatest, because bias is, bias is not easily identified unless you're looking for it. Mm -hmm. which means you have to be willing to challenge the way you see things, which I've worked, I, my son's a scientist and, and I've trained him when we were younger, when he was a young kid, I used to have, I wouldn't spank him. I would just ask him questions to, about what he was thinking. And at one point he came to me and said, why don't you just spank me? And, you know, James dad smack, spanks him. It's over fast. You ask questions, I have too many answers. Right. But I noticed that in doing that, both he and my daughter tend to ask a lot of questions and often get themselves in trouble because they're they're like, if something doesn't add up, they want to get their nose into it. Right. Just to understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's gotten, that can get you in trouble, but if you get in trouble, then you actually learn something about the information or who you're dealing with. You know, it's like that, but I find your work around, like it's really simple and very powerful I, I, like what what does it mean to have gray thinking I, I think that's if you could break that metaphor down i think it'd be valuable because i do i kind of i'm it, it matches up with me i've tried to poke holes in that statement uh and the more i do the more i find it to be true but i'd love to have you talk about what is gray thinking and how do you see it as the antidote to bias because you list a number of great biases in there as well yeah, so for gray thinking, it's the simple idea of not allowing your brain to form an absolute belief. Because once you do, then that's where a lot of biases set in. Your brain just goes to search for information that validates that belief or it just overlooks evidence that would disprove the belief that it's trying to prove. Right. Um, which makes sense. I mean, that's that's through evolution uh, you know, that has uh, led us to a place where we're able to protect ourselves and it, it allows us to think through issues faster in some cases, um, but it doesn't, it's not without risk. And, and so uh, there's really no secret that I've found for great thinking. If you guys have any ideas for how to implement it, it it's really just getting into the practice of, of stopping and asking yourself questions realizing when you're starting to form a belief, realizing when you're digging your heels in and you don't know why uh, to an issue. And, um, and so I think when you're talking to people and you're asking them questions, if you notice yourself starting to get agitated at something that they say, right, that's a pretty good indicator that there's some blind spot and bias at play. There's some certainty or where there's certainty, there's usually bias. And right. I have found, and if somebody can't engage the question, then they're, and, and I think you line this out in there too, which is a large part of our, our training with leaders is to listen for patterns, omissions, emphasis, innuendo, et cetera. Those are what I call intersections for further inquiry. Mm. So if somebody's overemphasizing something, emphasizing something and omitting something else, I always want to ask a question about what they're omitting to see how open they are about it, which would give me some sense of 
you know, and what are the interests driving this conversation? What is what is there an agenda? Is there something I need to pay attention to that I'm not seeing? Right. To me, that's great thinking, but it can be very offensive because people feel I, I found because I tend to do it a lot and people feel like you're. Uh, what's the word? Um, you don't believe them rather than you're trying to understand more fully what they're saying. And they may not have thought of it that fully and then feel insecure when you ask the question. Right. Or that that you're asking them questions, right, might be an indicator. This is how they would perceive, right, that that you're questioning their their own beliefs on something or that you don't see it the same way. Yeah, it's it's really quite something. Um, Confirmation bias is probably in the field that we're in one of the most dangerous biases that shows up. And it happens to be one that people are quite familiar with, you know, for anyone that um, doesn't know a lot about uh, cognitive biases and heuristics. They've probably heard of confirmation bias. Um, and, and I think it's for good reason, because it really is one, uh, again, especially in, in the field that I'm in. If, if you overlook information right, or you're searching for some, some evidence to support a preconceived belief, uh, that can be really dangerous because the stakes are literally, in some cases, life and death. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it still shows up in all different types of decision-making that we all face on a daily basis as well. Well, another word for that is dogma. Right. Right. I'm confirmation biases. I'm dogmatically thrown or, you know, predisposed and I'm unwilling to look at anything outside the dogma I've adopted as the truth. And so to challenge it, is to challenge my point of view. So when you say point of view, that's a whole world in itself. And I think it's fundamental to decision-making because, you know, we talked about this, you and I, many times when people make the best choice they see available to them. And if their point of view is predisposed, they're not, they may not see the best choice available. They're going to see the best choice available within that point of view. And that, that will, they'll be surprised at how they got, how they missed, right? Or maybe even hurt themselves or lost something they valued a lot, you know, like that, so. Mm. Yeah, when you get really clear with on, on their point of view from the beginning too, you're able to circle back to that as you're helping them make decisions because then it becomes their own point of view versus yeah. you projecting your own views or whatever you circle back to, okay, well, here's the goals that we're after. Here's the outcome that you said you wanted to achieve. Here's the values that you're not going to compromise while we're trying to achieve that outcome, right? So what are you going to do now? And and you're asking questions from that place because it's not, you're not challenging them. It's their own POV that oftentimes is is challenging your own thinking. Yeah. That's killer. Thanks, Brian. I I dig the, at least what I hear you saying too. I I think what you said, Brian, was like not allowing your brain to form. Did you say absolute belief? Or an I absolute did use that word. Yes. Yeah. It just seems like, I mean, I, everybody's got to deal with fear. Everybody deals with it and how we're going to deal with it really makes the difference. And so we can avoid it um, or we can, or we can absorb it. Mm-hmm. You know, at least I always, I always talk about like listening to fear. If you squeeze fear hard enough, the concerns will pop out the top. 
Hmm. You know, so it's like, cause I got fear, but fear is, is an emotional state related to some concerns. So how do I travel through the emotional state and get to the concerns? Cause that, that there's usually wisdom there. Um, leadership wisdom to like get connected to the concerns. Either that's going to fuel the future I want or help me to avoid the hell I don't want your, your two points on outcomes, which I like. Um, and you can't get to the concerns if you're running or avoiding the fear. Right on. And this right. is my point that I think you make so beautifully that I'm sure people don't wonder about that often is like, we can tell, like, I know like when I'm arrogant, it's because I'm scared, right? When I get all defensive and get all, get all self-righteous, it's just because I've got some kind of something I'm trying to protect, whether it's my own view of myself or my own, you know, downside that I don't want to see happen or my, I, the lack of trust in the relationship or something, I get all arrogant, but same thing around thinking. Same thing around dogma or this kind of absolute truth. There's not, there, there might be, um, it might, people, I, let me try to connect this point. Like everybody's looking for confidence. Like they look and they, they want to look confident for sure. Even if they don't feel confident, they want to look like they got their shit together and certainty, at least up until now, until Brian Niederhelm takes over the world that like dogma seems like certainty and we'll like settle for that. Like, Oh, that person knows but what I hear the invitation is, is, well, first off that like this, what is, there's, an, there's some kind of uh, quote in my head about ideas held loosely or something. Do you guys know this quote? Not anyway, really. the, the idea of like having, having a view that you hold really loosely, that there might, there's, there's more power in that. Like, I know what I think, but I don't know all that I might need to think or something mm. like that. I don't know. Um, if, if I, if I always baked in curiosity into my own opinion, um, or wonder into my own opinion, might my opinion actually be stronger because it's not stuck. It's actually this ever evolving conversation. So I, I believe what I believe only because of how I'm relating to it now, what I think about it, but I'm always wide open to getting smarter. And might that actually generate a sense of confidence in somebody so that if, if someone comes against them, they're able to listen and absorb and wonder with them. And I don't have to agree with them. And this is a, a lot of the stilted conversations and organizations that we come up with is like a leader doesn't know the answer. And then they're spending so much time trying to make sure their people don't know how much they don't know the answer. Instead of saying, Hey, I don't know this answer. Let me think about this together. And there's, there's a sense that like the, that dogma is really, is, is really paper thin. It doesn't hold the test of time. Um, because you're not actually sturdy behind it. You know, it's like this, uh, it's, it's a veneer as much as arrogance is, you know, anyway, it's just what I was thinking as you're talking about it. Yeah. The quote is do not hold an idea tightly. There's always a possibility that what you believe might be wrong. Hold your ideas loosely so that you can easily get rid of them. Once you've realized that they are wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's basically another definition or way to talk about great thinking. Yeah. And it does, doesn't mean that you don't have beliefs, but you guys are what I found through working with you so helpful was how you use language. And so that's one of the reasons why you know, I added the word absolute beliefs, right? Because it doesn't mean you don't have beliefs. It just means that as you're forming them, you always leave room for being wrong. And, and in doing so, right, it, it doesn't close your mind off to other possibilities. 
And, and I think that shows up in the types of decisions we're talking about now, as, as well as clearly in leadership things. And, and Adrian, I wanted to come back. You mentioned fear and on the topic of language, uh, I think that it's important also to not use the word fear in some context, right? Because people have already placed a meaning on that. Mm-hmm. And like, I like to, in most situations where most people use the word fear is to think about it as paranoia, right? Because mm-hmm. I think of paranoia as an intellectual state, Whereas anxiety is, is an emotional one, right? Paranoia is, is a healthy thing to have, to walk around the world and, and to consider all of the things that might go wrong so that we could avoid them, right? But it's, it's, it could be a, a fine line between when it, it moves from paranoia to anxiety. Um, but you know, we at, at Gavin Beckman Associates, and, and Gavin talks about this a lot in his book, The Gift of Fear, uh, is the difference between warranted fear, which is the fear that actually comes up, shows up when you're in the face of danger, right? Mm-hmm. It's you feel the hairs on your neck stand up, your 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 body goes into a mode of protecting yourself, basically, right? But then I think we a lot of us get confused with using the word fear and thinking of it as the thing that we face throughout life, uh, and then we get the two confused. Um, and, and so anyway, I just wanted to share that because I think in, in the work, particularly in leadership, you know, talking about fear um, can be an easy word to use because it's, it's relatable. But I would like to personally re- redefine that word as it correlates to a lot of decisions that happen in the business world and in, in leadership decisions and um, you know, think about it slightly differently. But um, anyways, I got, got off on a tangent there. <laughs> No, I, I like it. I mean, I like it. I mean, I, I usually want to see any kind of emotion, fear being one of them, potentially, um, if you put it in that category, uh, as an indicator light. It doesn't mean anything. I better start listening. You know, there's so something. It's a, it's something there. You know, my intuition is telling me something. I can, people tend to see fear as the enemy instead of fe- seeing like fear as, Ally. Be, ally. Yeah, it could be an ally. It could be an ally. It could be a guide as well. Like, listen to your fear. It's wanting to tell you something. It could tell you something that, you know, in the future that could be troublesome or, you know, or helpful. Or it could be something that tells me something like my fear might be an indicator of my past. What I think my past is coming back and I better, you know, come to come to peace with that. Otherwise, that's going to keep, you know, uh, running my world in the background. So I, I, I'm, As you're I'm talking, to Adrian. Are you? Do you have scenarios in mind that where that showed up for you? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like as you were talking that that you were running through some scenarios in your head where where you <laughs> where you can relate to it. Oh sure. Uh, you know, there's one professional one, one personal one. Which one do you guys want to hear? Both. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be brief though. I'll be brief then. I know I know we're coming up on time. Personally. I was just doing a Harrison debrief with a guy that works at a, at a high-end bank. Uh, I, was, I was down on Wall Street with him last week, and we we're looking at one of his, his Harrison assessment. And once a challenge, his once a challenge score is really low, um, like three point five, very low. And this you know, his risk score is also very low, like his willingness to like be to be comfortable in times of business uncertainty, and that works totally fine in the midst of a booming market, which we just come out of. 
um, as we're heading into this next market for them, uh, he's going to need to take on more of a challenge, but he's really certain about why it's smart not to take on a challenge. He's very self-righteous about it even, which I just talked to him about. Like I actually did this black and white gray thinking conversation with him. And you might want to wonder about how ineffective your old ideas will be in your future. Just wonder about that. That's an old idea about why you're so right about it. And, and, and you know, I'm not coaching the guy. So I said, if I was coaching you, this is the question I'd ask, which is my way of asking questions without asking questions, is how, how, how unfaithful is this old friend of yours? Um, number one, pers- on a personal note, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, I'm doing a um, this happened last night. Uh, getting a new website up and, you know, first iteration came out last night and I asked Allie what she thinks about it. And I really value her. She's also very critical when it comes to this kind of stuff, has lots of opinions. And I, you know, handed her the, handed her the, the, the computer to get her, to get her feedback about it. And I knew she'd have lots of ideas about it. And I just kept saying to myself, calm, calm. And I'd say, oh, that's a great, tell me all your opinions. I, t- and I don't want to hear all of her opinions, but I know I want to at a deep level. I know I want to, I want to be aligned. And she's got lots of feedback about it and what she thinks this and what she thinks that. And I said, that's a great idea. I haven't thought about that. Or here's what I think about it. You know, and I'm like dancing with her in it, but I'm very uncomfortable the whole time, you know, because I just want her to say, this looks great um, on one level, because I want some kind of approval and things to move on. This has been a mind numbing experience, but also on a deeper level, I actually want the thing to keep getting better. You know, and I want the feedback to make it better. So I'm in this tension. There's gold between- in that feedback. Yeah. That's right. So I want to listen to it and not take it personally because it's not. She's just she's actually doing what I've asked her to do. But if I don't watch it, my mood will shut down the conversation. So those two things come to mind. Great stuff. This is great. I could, Brian, I could, we could go on for hours. I think there's so much, even in my notes, I'm looking notes that I came to the conversation with to ask you about. I wanted to ask about risk. I wanted to ask about safety. I want to like, there's so many principles that I think would be so interesting. So will you come back? Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to. And, and then can we, can we put a, either a link to the, um, the, the uh, uncertainty paradigm in the, you know, under the, in the, in yeah, the, absolutely. I'll, I'll send it to you guys. Um, send it to, to me and Chad. I want to get the, I have three versions. I like to get the latest one. So yeah, Got I'll it. link, Got I'll it. link that and Gavin's book since those are the two resources that you made mention of. And I want to read the uncertainty paradigm myself. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate it. You guys, whenever I, I mean, this is the first time, uh, Chad and I have spoken, but anytime I talk to Dan and Adrian, I'm always left with less uncertainty about what I need to do. So uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for so much on, for your time, man. Well, appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Brian. We appreciate it. All right, brothers. Be well. Appreciate your brilliance. So, Bye-bye, everybody. my friends thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the naked leadership podcast your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us if this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way would you mind going to apple podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review this helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams finally the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life until next week bye-bye everybody we